Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. From the Believe Knicks podcast, it is a very happy day. It is an unusual day. It is a generational day. For many generations, the New York Knicks have advanced in the playoffs. They are awaiting their second round series against the Miami Heat after a rather gentlemanly sweep of the Cleveland Cavaliers. A lot to talk about looking back at that series. A lot to talk about looking forward. We will do so today including a special guest who will join us to talk about the heat. But first, betonline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, right down to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options, and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's backwards V-A-E-L-B, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. So, When did you realize the Knicks were going to win this series? Um, I I mean, that's like emotionally not until the Cavs stopped fouling with less than a minute left. Yes, that last it was time. for me. It was exactly like there was forty six point I think like five seconds. Yeah, they threw an outlet to RJ, uh-huh. and I was like, "Is he going to dunk it?" And then I was like, "Oh, he doesn't need to." When he go. held it, I, re- I relaxed. Like I finally was like, ah. Oh. But when did it seem like? Yeah, I mean, I thought they had a good chance. Also, especially when Randall was healthy after game one, um, it seemed like they had a good chance. You know, after game two, it definitely there was some. It was worrisome. It's interesting because individually, every game until game five, I thought the Knicks were going to lose, um, mm-hmm. and not because, but it was just like. Game one, they're on the road. Cavs are good. I think I'm just going to give it to the home team, right? Game two, Cavs are desperate. You know, the Knicks already did what they had to do. I'm going to give it to them. Game three, it's going to be tight. Um, You know, I just, I don't feel great about this. The Cavs played well in game two um, and, you know, have some momentum. Game four, I was like, well, the Knicks 2-1. The Cavs are going to be desperate. I think they'll win this. And then by the time it was game five, that's when I was like, all right, I'm not really going to predict the loss here because the Knicks have just looked better. Um, mm-hmm. And so game five was the one where I was like, look, you know, things happen, whatever, but the Knicks are the better team. That was the one that was, I didn't feel completely, I, I felt like the Knicks were on their level, especially when I realized Randall was healthy pretty early on. Mm-hmm. But the point when I was like, the Knicks are the better team. And if they lose now, it just um, – that shouldn't happen, and that, that is kind of a failure. 
would have been after game four. But um, but when was I sure that okay, it's over? <laughs> yeah, when when RJ, because even I mean, it was funny the the Strickland, you know, Frank Barrett, um, Jeff Rasmussen did one of his threads again today, and he he posted a clip, and he was like, you know, every time the cat the Cavs seemed to get close, the Knicks would hit a shot or two and um and respond, and I was like, that was definitely true. But what I focused on more was that every time the Knicks would go up 12 or 14 and had a chance to really put their foot on their throats, it seemed like the Cavs would hit a big So in the moment, you always focus on the glass, or at least me, I focused on the glass half empty. But um, but that being said, um, you know, the Knicks earned all the confidence. They dominated the series um, in, in every facet imaginable. It was, um, you know, I don't think even Cavs fans would say it was a fluke. Ricky Rubio apparently thinks so. Um, they were a dominant team. They were the better team. Um, you know, Jalen Brunson had the star power to match up with the Cavs. Um, Mitchell Robinson completely outplayed that. Mitchell Robinson on Isaiah Hartenstein, I think he helped a lot too. And I don't think Mitchell Robinson would have been as good. I mean, I think that's a big thing. Jared Allen played 40 minutes a night. Mitchell Robinson was playing 30, and that's not because of his conditioning, which I think is actually way better now. It's because the Knicks had the luxury of sending in a guy with whom there's no drop-off. Um, and, um, you know, and as much as the answer, and RJ Barrett played like a star, I think before this series, I remember you were very focused on, um, you know, if Isaac Okoro is hitting shots, he's capable of giving Brunson problems. You know, and that was a fair concern, but I think that the thing is in game four, in game five, certainly, and really throughout the series, I don't think Isaac Okoro, besides maybe game one, Isaac Okoro, Shetty Osman, Karis Levert all had really good games in game five. But the thing is, you cannot build your entire plane out of Isaac Okoro's. Um, that was what I think. Whereas the Knicks found out that, and, and I think that a lot of Cavs fans had said, you know, we feel the same way about RJ Barrett. We're happy to let him shoot. We're not going to guard him. And they found out that, you know, if you dare us to build a plane out of RJ Barrett's, well, we don't have to build the whole plane because Jalen Brunson can still get his. But if you keen on Brunson, you know, he was a big difference. So, um, you know, at every, every big question that we had about these two teams, basically before the series was answered in favor of the Knicks. So when you look at it from that perspective, um, you know, it's, it's a very unsurprising result. I was, it was striking to me that before the series, I had wondered about how the Knicks application of depth, like that was an advantage in the regular season, but would it apply much in the first round of the playoffs? Because, usually coaches shorten the rotations and if Thibodeau was going to do that, like the Knicks shrinking down was going to be good for the Cavs because the Knicks had more talent. Um, I was, I saw the first quarter yesterday and then I had to do something for like a half hour. And when I, when I came back, I like, as I turned on the game and I'm like waiting to see the score, I wanted very much, the Knicks had been up around 10 when I left and I just was like, just don't let them be like you know down by like six like let me just and i put it on it was right after randall got hurt and they were still up like 10 and i realized like okay he's there's no way he's coming back like obi's gonna play and right at that moment it hit me that like that didn't matter 
like in terms of in terms of where the game was likely to be going the fact that obi was playing the fact that randall was out did not at all change the likelihood of the knicks winning the game which was when i realized how just clearly dominant their depth i think just played out over the series like every time they had to go to someone it was a good thing that they went to that someone like that person had something to give and every time cleveland you know you're throwing out lamar stevens in game five every time they went to somebody not really it's just not really there and i wonder if, if for them this will be I, I'm, I promise everyone the retirement of the atlanta cleveland comparisons but i wonder if like that year the knicks had a really good year and they got to the playoffs and they found out like you have some severe limitations when it comes down to postseason competition like you don't have enough people who can shoot or who can create cleveland gets to the playoffs with a style and a system that works really well over the randomness of an 82 game schedule but when a good team can focus in on them, they do not have enough shooters. They don't have enough creators. They have like nobody over six six who can attack the rim. Um, I wonder if they're going into the offseason being like, oh, shit, we got to make some changes. Yeah, and I mean, I think um, I think that there's yeah the the uh, the similarities are pretty close. You know, after game two, I think a lot of Knicks fans had confidence, and Atlanta just suffocated the Knicks um, and the Knicks did it too. And, it, um, and I'm not the first to make that comparison. I think your point on Ubi is pretty interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's oh, throughout the years, there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, what it takes to play in New York. What does it take to be a professional athlete in New York, handling the New York media? And I think it, to be honest, it's often used in, in a sense, I don't like, right? He's not built for New York and all of that. That's not a very good thing, um, to be quite frank. And I think it's a little overblown, but I think it's also like, you know, if, we, if we're if we really making it so that people cannot do their jobs effectively, and I say we, but I think, um, well, I'll get to that in a second, but if, if that's really the situation where people can't do their jobs effectively, that's not something necessarily to be proud of. Um, um, and, um, and, you know, I, I think it's fair to question, well, is it the media, is it the fans? And it seems to be a little bit of both, right? Um, because, you know, the media knows that you have a very hungry fan base for engagement and, you know, they're going to report what's out there. But I don't think it's beyond the pale to point out that the media has both an incentive and has provided evidence that they're willing to stoke that fire, right? If we're going to blame... You know, if this, I think if the same people are willing to blame certain news outlets or commentary for, um, you know, pro- creating propaganda or, or swaying or, or, you know, creating certain opinions in people's minds, I don't think it's beyond the pale to point out that anyone starving for engagement is going to do that. And that's, that is predated social media. So I think the media is very, the New York media is very complicit in this. But it's like a it's like a chicken and the egg thing, right? Is it the fans' desire and and kind of th- that need for content and willingness to kind of jump on everything and you know passion for back of a better word that causes the media to to act a certain way? Is it vice versa? I think they're both in in many ways implicated. The point is, it is a real thing. We've seen Patrick Ewing talk about this. We've seen lots of athletes talk about this. 
But if you look at this roster, and so I preface all of this by saying that any athlete, I think, who who does struggle under those kind of situations, I don't want to I don't want to seem like I'm saying that I think less of them than anything else or anything like that. Um, what I will say is this: every player on this Knicks roster, er, sorry, every player that played in this series has at some point been criticized pretty heavily within the New York fan base. Um, Josh Hart, probably the least so, and, and not really. But there are people who said, you know, is Josh Hart going to take minutes from Quentin Grimes, right? Was that a good trade to trade a first? With Jalen Brunson, terrific free agent acquisition. I think the the, the approval rating is pretty high there. Um there's still people who, and I've, I've said in games four and five, especially, I thought there were times where he did dominate the ball too much. There's been people who have criticized, you know, his ISO heavy nature. Everyone else has been heavily criticized about something down to Deuce McBride, who people are like, this guy can't shoot. He's a zero on offense. Why do we bench camp for him? Right. Emmanuel quickly isn't a real point guard. Um, the liability on defense and all of this, right. Um, you know, we've seen it with RJ Barrett, obviously, was one of the more polarizing players this season. Um, you know, really came came out and showed out, but heavily criticized. We've talked a lot about Julius Randle. Mitchell Robinson was constantly said he's goofy, says stupid shit on, on social media, um, you know, doesn't have an offensive game. Isaiah Hardenstein had a nightmarish first few months on this team, or so first couple of months. Um, you know, who I mean, everyone, Quentin Grimes, there were draft writers who mocked that as a draft pick, right? At least Randall was smooth sailing. At least Julius Randall was smooth sailing. I said, I said Randall, right? He probably had it the worst, right? Um, yeah, I think yeah, we yeah. talked a lot about that, but I, yeah, so my point is, everyone who played yesterday, besides I think Josh Hart, has been through it with the media, and I think RJ Barrett exemplifies that because it's been tough. Stephen A. Smith called for him to be. I mean, that's humiliating. He signed a hundred dollar, hundred million dollar contract this offseason, number three overall pick, and many times has been the face of the franchise. And I don't want to give too much legitimacy to Stephen A. The fact is, they lots of people watch ESPN. RJ himself said he had heard that, and he's calling for you to like not just step up. He's saying just bench him. Mm-hmm. And RJ, RJ had a tough year, and and there's a lot to adjust to. You had a really good. Got an article on the Strickland about, you know, he's only 22. I think people forget that. But it almost seems like whenever we see these guys go through these things, they always come out of it stronger. And that is 100% a necessary quality you need. We can argue whether it's a good thing or a bad thing about the environment in New York sports. I think you and I would both agree that it's, it's not really a good thing. But the fact is the guys that they have on this team are the kind of guys who come out stronger. And they've responded well, and um, and that and and I think that's exactly why earlier this season they went to Dallas. That was one of the worst losses ever. They went through a three and a seventeen stretch last year. They you know until midway through this year they were extremely well known for blowing fourth quarter leads. They blew a ton of big double digit fourth quarter leads this year. Fred Katz had an article about early this year. You know they were one of the tops in the league in, in terms of blowing leads. His takeaway was kind of, you know, a lot of that is randomness and the nature of the modern NBA. And, you know, in many ways he's proven right. But I think that that's two straight games. So there's been – there were three games this this series where it was within – it was a less than double-digit lead in the fourth. The Knicks were leading and they had to close it out, and they did it, including to 
to finish a series on the road, which is the hardest thing to do in the NBA. They did that. Um, and I think that mental toughness is a huge part of this team. And um, I think it, it speaks to the, you know, to a lot of how they're evaluating players and looking who to select, but I think it speaks to their coach and it speaks to their, his mentality. And I've been critical of him in the past, but um, you know, you can tell why there's so many players that'll, that'll run through a wall for Tibbs and why, um, why even at his lowest points, even in New York, there were so many people who, who stood by him and who, who still believed in him. And, um, and, you know, they're, they've been vindicated um as is i'll add this i I had a tweet about this you know there's been hives for basically every player so every hive or every person on next twitter has basically been proven right about something and probably been proven badly wrong about something else um so if you believe in the wisdom of crowds this is a good um (laughs) you know exemplification of that but it also shows that um that I, but it's also like if there's a guy who's struggling on this team, at this point, if he's on this team, you can bet that um, he's going to come out a little bit better. He's going to come out on the other side stronger, and 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 um, he's going to make it through. So we've seen a lot of signs, obviously, following the Knicks all season, a number of moments where I think the team showed us, like, okay, they're they're better than we thought they were. There's more there maybe than we realized. In this series, I felt like there was some of that there also with the ease with which I think the Knicks commanded a lot of the series, especially how many of them haven't had a history of success or even experience in the postseason. I'm curious. For me, this has always been the the 99 Atlanta Hawks in the second round. Cleveland is... I was, I was really surprised at how unimpressive so many things about the Cavaliers were and this is not at all in a like let's drag the opponent because they look like I thought all year Cleveland was was one of the better balanced teams like in the league but seeing them in the playoffs and seeing you know their their front court was decimated against the Knicks they're 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 amazing remarkable Jared Allen's been an all-star Evan Mobley obviously God knows where he'll end up but he looks incredible but I didn't see anything from Cleveland I literally none of the things that I came into the series afraid of so they're they're two bigs who could you know make a nightmare of trying to score down low and I thought like it'd be harder for are they going to keep Mitch off the glass are they going to make it hard for Randall to get anything going in the paint or maybe even Brunson and RJ and they have these two guards who are both incredible they can get you 30 to 40 or more any night they can get you 10 assists any night they I mean they had moments obviously Mitchell was great scoring in game one Garland had uh, an amazing game two and a really nice stretch in game four in New York but on the whole like when Mitchell kept pulling up for threes like I caught myself realizing how selfish I was at one point because he made one. He hadn't made one in a while. And every time he would square up to take one, I'd be like kind of like grimacing and he would miss it. And he finally made one. And I was like, ah, and then I was like, you know, you're really being selfish. The guy's missed like his last eight or something. Nothing, nothing about the Cavaliers offense, defense, um, intangibles. Nothing was impressive. 
was Cleveland worse than you? We know the Knicks were better than we maybe thought they were all year. Was Cleveland worse than we realized? Um, I actually, significant problems. Like you can't shoot, you can't rebound. You're a 50 win team with a top 10 rating on both ends of the ball, and you can't you can't score a hundred points. Not against the 94 Knicks, and you can't you can't rebound. Yeah, I, I I am gonna say I don't think the Cavs are worse than I thought. Then the Knicks are a lot better than I thought. Um, okay. I think um, the one thing that maybe fell below expectations is that Donovan Mitchell wasn't got. There was no God mode Donovan Mitchell game besides maybe Game One. Yeah. But even even yesterday, I mean, some of the shots he was hitting, he did not have a good series. He made some incredible plays. Um, like yesterday, there was one where the Knicks played great defense, twenty four uh, for twenty four seconds. Like Donovan Mitchell gets open, but he's thirty feet from the hoop. Josh Hart is right in his face, and he just drains it. Right? Yeah. Um, maybe that's the shot you were talking about. Um, and um, and so. It was the talent was very clear. Um, Darius Garland, I, I thought he would be better in ISO. Like they couldn't attack Brunson with Darius Garland ISO, but yeah, I mean he's still a guy you can't give much space to. He was a much better defender than I thought. He was. As far as on the glass, though, it kind of went as um, you know. I, and the thing is, it's also it's this was kind of my like a lot of Cavs fans, especially after games one and two, were like, well. Game one, the Knicks did what they – the Knicks have to rebound well. And I think people talked about the Knicks rebounding like, you know, it can be fleeting. Um, you know, it's easy to take away, just focus on the glass. Mm-hmm. But one, that's easier said than done, especially against Mitchell Robinson, who was much better. I mean, everyone on the Knicks outperformed in something. For the guys who were bad on offense, they outperformed on defense. RJ Barrett outperformed – Maybe not my wildest, ex- not my expectations of him, but what he has done this year by a lot on both ends. He was terrific on defense. I think it gets talked about less. Um, but the, the point is, like, the Knicks' formula for winning, the thing is, you have the Cavs, you have talented players, but they don't really feed into each other as much, right? Garland and Mitchell, Mitchell's a really good off-ball player, so he can he can play off Mitchell. But they didn't make each other like the, the things that make the Cavs successful, great guard play, elite defenders, um, and getting turnovers. You know, you shut off one of those things and the other things all fall apart. It was a lot more mm-hmm. you shut off their turnovers, their offense looks very average. Mm-hmm. With the Knicks, it was kind of the opposite effect, right? If you shut off their ice, if you key in on Jalen Brunson, you start trapping him you open up the other guys, right? They're on ISO-heavy offense because teams will, will let them go ISO and they have the players to punish that. Um, but you key in on the ISO game, it's going to open up the already formidable offensive rebounding. You trap them, you get the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands, it's going to open up four-on-threes for guys who are very capable. I think that's one of the biggest surprises for most of the NBA. It's not just RJ, right? You give Josh Hart a four on three, or you give him open looks, he he can knock them down. Um, you know, you give RJ Barrett, you know, he he punish them repeatedly. 
Julius Randle, when they, you know, when they were giving him space, he had a great start to game five. I hope he's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't just game five. Game four was awful. But he was able to attack and, and move the defense, even when he wasn't shooting well, pretty consistently besides really game. I think game four, he was awful. And I, I, he definitely didn't seem to be 100%. But other than that, you know, so they had those things. So the thing is, like, the Knicks are a little bit more like a Medusa where you cut off one head and something else as a direct result of that will grow. Whereas you can shut off, like, their counters. You know, if you shut off Mitchell, you shut off Garland. It's, um, you know, like I said, it's Isaac Okoro who, who shot the ball. I thought Isaac Okoro actually played reasonably well in, in many ways better than I expected on offense. Um, I thought Karis Levert played much better on both ends than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's not enough. Um, those counters are not enough. And their strengths are a little bit more um, orthogonal, if you will, than the Knicks where they're um, not correlated necessarily, but you take one away and, and they, they have hedges. The Knicks have hedges. And um, so I would say, like, in terms of the, the Cavs are reasonably what I expected, except I didn't see Don Mitchell really go nuclear. But I, I thought the Knicks were just in his grill. Like, the things he was making were things that – if they played that kind of defense on on a normal guard, like even an average guard, he's, he's having an even worse series. Um, what I will say is what – even exceeded my expectations. I didn't expect 11 offensive rebounds for Mitchell Robinson. And, um, but I thought he was capable of it. I, I thought that, you know, before the series of Cavs fans dismissed the idea that Jared Allen versus Mitchell Robinson was even close. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was very close. I think it's always been close since he was in Brooklyn. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always had to check myself because, you know, Jared Allen is a little bit more of an offensive game. He has that, that little floater, but, um, but Mitchell Robinson owned that series. I thought before the series that um, that Jalen Brunson would be had a chance to offset what the Cavs backcourt could do in terms of playmaking and, and getting you a bucket when the defense are locked in. He exceeded that. Um, I thought that the Knicks perimeter defenders had a chance to really cause problems. I didn't think they would completely have the Cavs. If, even when the Cavs had success for most of this series, there were some really nice possessions the Cavs ran, but they were five, six, seven kickout passes. Yep. Like, and and on the one hand, you could say, well, that shows that they're offensive talent, but it's also like, yeah, but just to get one basket, they had to pull out, you know, being the O four Spurs. Yeah, right? yeah, just to and, get a uh, shot. Yeah. Uh, and dude, I know the Knicks were capable of that. Yeah, dude, I think they were. And and I think the other thing is that the Knicks finished as the 18th best offense, but. Dead injuries, they wrapped up early. There were a lot of games towards the end of the season that probably padded their offensive rating a little bit, so it's fair to say maybe they weren't really the third-best offense. They were better than that 18th-best defense. Um, you know, they For much of the season, they were ranked top 10, and they proved this, this series that they have a ton of waves of defenders and guys who can play for 40 minutes just in your grill. Um and um, I mean, who, no, nobody had a bad defensive series. I think besides even Brunson. Brunson yesterday had some woeful stretches in the third quarter. Had some big steals. Um, you know, was getting in passing lanes. But besides Obi, Obi had a really. He's supposed to be a defensive liability. I thought he was terrific whenever he played this series. I thought Randall had a bad defensive series. But that's really it. I thought quickly was superb. 
RJ was fantastic. Hart was better than even when we traded for him, our wildest expectations. Mm-hmm. And at some point, and the last thing I'll say is I know that it is a little disappointing. You know, it's it can be like, well, is the Cavs team really that good? Well, I used to think Denver was this behemoth we would never beat because of Nikola Jokic. Well, we beat them. Um, you know, Boston, to me, was the best team in the league. We won the season series against them. And and I, I remember thinking the same thing every time. Oh, they're not that good. They're overrated. At some point, you have to be like, yes, this next team is not supposed to be able to beat these teams. Maybe it's not about that team. Maybe this next team is good. Like, really good. There was an old game back on the Dreamcast called King of Fighters. And it had, like, dozens. and I mean, at the time, it was striking. Like, dozens and dozens and dozens of fighters. Um, where Street Fighter would give you, like, 10 or 12. And Mortal Kombat would give you, like, a good number. But this was an insane number. And when you played the game, like, there were certain, there were certain fighters who, like, they were not... Nothing about them was special. They weren't the strongest. They weren't the quickest. They weren't any of those things. But they had a, a tactic or a technique that they stuck with like repeatedly and you know it, it was it was there was just enough to it they weren't trying to step outside of what they can do like they were doing it over and over the knicks have been interesting to me because for a lot of the year i thought they were like that i thought the knicks were a team where okay they know what they do well and they and we've seen those types of teams in the past there are teams who we're not pushing the envelope we know what we can do we stick to what we can do and most nights that's going to win um, cause a lot of teams don't, it became evident. And the player who's most emblematic of this is sadly the one who missed most of the series or a lot of the series and Quentin Grimes as the season has gone on, even before the hard trade, but certainly after the hard trade, but like you're talking about one of the cumulative effects of all of these players showing, Oh, okay. He's gone above and beyond. Oh, he's gone above and beyond is that this, this, what you believe they're capable of has i feel evolved like all season long like my expectations even when they started winning in december you have like okay there's a range of what this could be of what 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 it could lead to and at some point it was you know what they're not just a play-in team like i think they could get top six and then you realize like hey they could pass brooklyn If if they could pass brooklyn at least they could play a competitive series against cleveland instead of getting killed by boston or philly and then it's okay they can beat cleveland like they've handled cleveland and it's because like you're saying every single step of the way probably more so in the in the the five game series than anything else so far they keep going to new places that you didn't know they could get to which is exciting i have not seen a season like this really i haven't seen a season like this i don't think ever it's different um there are things about it that are different Speaking of different, the next opponent that the New York Knicks are going to play is very different than the sad-ass Cleveland Cavaliers who have been dismissed. And so because of that, we are bringing in a man who, after Eric Spolstra, this individual may know more about the Miami Heat than anyone walking God's green earth. Uh, I have known this person literally since I was in diapers. He lived across the street from me. He taught me a lot about baseball, a lot about life. Taught me a lot about everything. Julio Cesar Romero. Miami yes, sir. Still a good man. Welcome to 
the Believe Next podcast. How are you doing tonight? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for thanks guys for having me on. Appreciate that. Yeah. So let me ask you. Last night when I was watching the Heat game, um, I thought my assumption was I want the Bucks to win because I want I want the Knicks to get to heal. I want them to get as much time to rest as they can. But I wanted I there was an energy watching the game and watching the Heat come back. There was this energy that kept pulling at me that like that these two teams are going to play. And like during the season, I remember you you messaged me and were like, "Man, like if they have ever met in the playoffs, like they play such great games. Like they really do play such great games." And then I joked with you like after game one, I'm like, "Oh, Giannis hurt his back. He won. Here comes Dick." And it kept everything kept coming together. And last night watching the comeback, I was like, even before the last inbounds to Butler in regulation, I was like, they're going to make something happen. Like It just seems like it's pulling in this direction. Did you know before game one, like at one point in that series, did you believe they they, they really sh- they really got this? They really so should get this. the wild thing is that I wouldn't have been surprised. I wasn't surprised that the Heat won in five, and I wouldn't have been surprised that the Bucks won in four mm. because this – heat regular season is like no other it's been like the most frustrating if the season was to end at the regular season i'm pretty sure every heat fan would have been would have told you that it's probably one of the worst heat series uh regular seasons uh wow. definitely one of my the worst that i've experienced pretty much and the reason why is because they made the eastern conference finals last year mm-hmm. game seven and they just took their foot off the gas the whole regular season they lost P.J. Tucker at the four. Then they were toying with lineups, and they were trying to upsize threes into four. Caleb Martin was a wing. He was a, coming off the bench off of Jimmy last year, and then they tried to play him at the four. So and they were just coasting. They were losing. They lo- I think they lost to the Pistons twice. They lost to the Magic. They lost to every bottom team, the Spurs. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a very, a very unpredictable. So it could have gone either way. And I think I told you during the year, I said they were first in three-point shooting last year and they were 27th mm-hmm. this year. And if mm-hmm. they just went down, went up to the means, they would start winning ballgames. And that's mm-hmm. what they're doing. I mean, they're shooting more than 50%, so it's a lot better than that. But they they kept the same shooters and they're doing that. So anyway, it's it, I was – and when you told me they were up 3-1, I said Bucks can easily win the next three. They could. But so, – so Yeah, when I was watching last night, when I thought – I got off of the Bucks because I thought, you know what? If the Bucks did win this game, they could come back and win the whole thing. And I don't want, I do not want any part of the Bucks for the Knicks. The Bucks are a bad matchup for the Knicks. Especially the best team. They were the best team in the regular season. And my there's a ton of credit for beating them. Like, that's no fluke. Um, but but mm-hmm. um, everyone was afraid of them for a pretty good reason. Beyond. But you know what? I'll tell you one thing their Achilles heel is they're sloppy with the ball and they give they have given up leads in the past like last year they had a double digit lead against the celtics in game six and they lost you know what i mean and then of course game seven the celtics couldn't miss from three you know what i mean and they went at home but the bucks and they had a double digit lead another game i want to say maybe two or three but they had two double digit leads in the fourth and when it gets to that (laughs) That butt clinching time, what they call it, you know, inside the minutes, and the pressure gets tight, they get sloppy with the ball. So, so, I think a lot of people have blamed Budenholzer for that. Um, there is also the fact that their best player, 
is a phenomenal player. He also missed 13 free throws yesterday. That is not an isolated occurrence. That also affects, you know, the the last possession. You know, he kind of tried to throw the, he threw the ball he away. <laughs> yeah, because he didn't want to shoot the free throws. That's something, by the way, LeBron has been accused of. Um, but I, so I happen to think that he'd have the best coach in basketball. Um, you know, as much as it's, it pains me to praise someone from Miami, um, it taps in my Asian American pride a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think Eric Spolstra is a great coach. So how much do you, you know, having watched them and obviously having seen the series, um, you know, how much do you attribute to, you know, maybe Giannis not being a great free throw shooter, maybe him handling the ball so much and not being a true guard maybe Budenholzer, like how do you kind of weigh those things as, you know, as the reasons for what you've mentioned that, you know, this is a team that's susceptible in the fourth quarter. So they, um, he was the facilitator in game four, Yanis. He had, he was dropping dimes. He had the triple double. He was like, you know what I mean? Like he wasn't driving. He was hitting Brooke Lopez game four. Like, so the facilitator was working for him. Um, it's just that they were letting him shoot like he did not hit one jumper that whole series, you know? Um, and they were just, you know, even when he's hurt, his biggest, I think, effect is defensively. You know what I mean? Like, I think he has much more of an impact defensively than he does um, offensively. It helps everybody around. Um, they just, they just didn't, but I think they, they were beating them without him. And I think that they, Definitely could have beat him if, if he was in there um, the other games in between. He might have. I think it might have gone seven, but I still think that they were capable of beating him with there. Um, when you first mentioned, Matt, uh, as far as regarding Randall, it's not such a bad thing if he if he misses game one because um, Spo has been tinkering with a lineup the last week of the season where he put Jimmy at the four. And that would totally help the Knicks because they could put in RJ at the four. And RJ, his last three games, he's been playing out of his mind. His last, since game three, he's been playing really good. So they could always put Randall at the four. They won't be over, undersized. Uh, you know, and then he would match up with Jimmy or they could have Hart, um, you know, at the four. They they could go small and not be punished like Cleveland's, you know, with Cleveland's bigs. So Randall, you know, um, if he does miss game one, I don't think it would be that big of a drop off. And plus, Obi, listen, Obi actually, I mean, I haven't seen the, uh, the the progression, but he looks a lot better. Like his shot release is quicker. Uh, he puts the ball more oh, yeah. on the floor. Like it, it, it's he he looks better. Um, so you know, I don't. I think if Randall is out, I don't think that's a too bad of a thing. At least in game this. one. Let me ask you this. Yeah, and I think. It seems whatever, man. I'm not a doctor, but given that the Heat won, and I think these, I think game one of the series is Sunday. I can't imagine Randall having hurt the same ankle is going to be able to come yeah. back, but we'll see. Like we'll see what happens. But I'm curious about something. You you pointed out that like the Heat had this just completely erratic regular season, and then game one of the playoffs, they win, they lose Tyler Hero to a broken hand. When that happened, I wrote him off completely. I said they don't have enough offense to begin with. They certainly don't have enough with him out. Other than, or was it just Butler's insanity? What happens that now by the end of game, what was it, game five? They're winning the series after they lost him. They lost all the depot who had gotten some big minutes and also had some buckets for the right. What changed? Was it offense? Was it defense? Three point, that, the three point shooting. The three point yeah. shooting. It opened everything up. 
it it Duncan Robinson being dusted off the shelf because he, he had a, he, he had a lot he had of play, yeah. he, he was out of the rotation. Him mm-hmm. and Depot was out of the rotation, but mm-hmm. Hero got out. Duncan came in like he was he was I think he shot seventy percent for three for the series. So them hitting the threes, it opens the floor for Jimmy, so he can operate and does and control the mid range and do what he does because it's spread out. And same thing for Bam. So everything is the threes for them. They're role players. The thing is, is that Miami has all these role players, but they can't create for themselves. So the shot creation is what helped with hurt when Hero left. But if the role players hit their threes, that they're doing their job. And that opens up for Jimmy and Bam. So that's what changed everything, the threes. If they don't hit the threes, I mean, I know it's a very common thing to say. Mm -hmm. If you don't hit the threes, you don't win. But if they don't hit the threes, it clunks up the pain. It clunks up to everything else. And now Jimmy can't do what he does. How much do you think? um, So, I mean, they shot, I think, 45% from three, which, you know, even if you're getting great looks, is tough to do. Um, You know, do you expect that to come down a little bit? um, Or do you think it's really just they're just generating that many open looks now? So, and here's the crazy, um, the crazy thing between last year and this year. They didn't have any tougher looks. I don't know the numbers. I, I, I heard the numbers from somebody um, and he pulled up the numbers. The amount of open look threes that he'd had this year versus last year was very, very similar. Mm. Very similar. They were just missing. They were just missing their threes. They had open looks. They just weren't hitting them. And it's crazy that a whole team of their rotation players that were three-point shooters couldn't hit a shot. Some people were thinking, all right, well, um, they were playing up. Like, for instance, they were shift because they lost PJ. They were shifting everybody up a position. So they had Max playing the three where he's not really a three. Uh, they had Vincent guarding two. So they were thinking, all right, some of these guys are losing their legs because they're guarding up. And maybe that has something to do with it. But nobody really knows. But they just started hitting threes. So that's that's what's, that's what's going to be their, their success because it's going to allow Jimmy to, to operate. And, and so, and we just played the Cavs, and um, they didn't really. They played Mobley at the four, but they didn't have backup options at the four. They got well. They they could have. I mean, Dean Wade came back from that shoulder injury, and they put him in for like what, like two because minutes. Because the last few, that guy could not shoot the last. He could have hit months. a shot. You're right. Yeah, but, but no. I mean, but by game five, you think BJ would be like, all right, let's go back to him, or let's try something. Yeah, and they tried you know Lamar I mean? Stevens, but I, I think a lot of Cavs fans lamented the loss of Kevin Love. Oh, he would have been um, perfect for that series. It's, and and so that's how, ironic. How big has he been for Miami? Because I look at it and I was like, well, you have Giannis on one side, and and I'm probably going to say something that you're going to correct me on, and that's what I'm trying to find insight on. To me, it was like, yeah, Kevin Love is, you know, yeah, I would say washed, right? That was my impression. Clearly, it doesn't appear to be the case. How big has he been for Miami, and what are, you know, what are the kind of things that on the surface you look at it as maybe – Oh, that's a matchup the the Bucks could have exploited. You know, why? How were they able to survive on defense? And and to, how big has Kevin Love been for them? The so, there was two phases. <clears throat> um, well, I'll answer the question first, and then I'll, I'll back that up with something. So, um, just the threat of him hitting the threes helps, right? And I'll give you a perfectly good reason. Like in the middle of that fourth quarter comeback last night. Um, Spoke 
completely switched right before the run, he had Bam bringing up the ball. Well, Bam usually brings up the ball a lot, but he had Bam operating the offense, and he had just hit two jumpers that now Brooke had to come up and respect them a little bit. So Bam was at the top of the key. Brooks steps up a little bit more because he, he doesn't want to give him too much space because he already hit two jumpers. And Kevin Love was at the three-point line. Giannis was guarding Kevin Love. Jimmy, I think three plays in a row, four plays in a row, he, was, he knew that Drew Holiday was doing a lock and trail. They weren't switching. So every time Jimmy ran off the screen and ran straight in the paint and Brooke wasn't going to drop back, and Giannis was out guarding Kevin Love because Kevin Love was hitting threes. And that's how Jimmy was scoring down low. And mm. Holiday on him, it doesn't matter because he's scoring over Holiday. And Spo changed that mid-fourth quarter, and that's how they got on that run. So the threat of Kevin Love being out there, it posed that. And he would have totally helped Cleveland, totally helped Cleveland. I mean, that's the reason why they didn't bring Robin Lopez on the court. They were getting killed on the board. This was like the, one of the first, the, one of the series, I can't remember how long, where offensive rebounds won a series. Like, the Knicks killed them off offensively. And they they could have brought Robin Lopez, but they didn't. They couldn't because they needed scoring. Their half-court offense, the, the Cavs' half-court offense was so dud. It was like, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, they had a rebound on the bench. Um, and Robin Lopez, but they couldn't bring him on because he couldn't score. So, yeah, Kevin Love would have <laughs> definitely – they needed Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, Barrett, and obviously every game in that series, he had a rough game one, game two he was better, and then three, four, five, he really, really took off. And mm-hmm. he's had some really big moments in the past against Miami. I know that Tyler Hero and even at this stage <laughs> of his career, Oladipo are not stoppers, but they do add wing depth. So now that those guys are gone and you've had to move other people up, who's going to be – is it Jimmy? Like, is Butler going to take – who's going to handle R.J. Barrett defensively? Um, <clears throat> they got a guy called Haywood Highsmith. Mm, and good call. They, he is a motor, energy, defensive guy, long wingspan, very disciplined defender, very disciplined. Like, they put him on DeMar. They put him on DeMar. Um, they had him guard KD. And, you know, KD was still score, but your job is to make it hard for him. And he does that. Like, he, he's very, he doesn't jump off bites. Um, so he's a guy, and they brought him into guard Giannis. And, you know, he still get fouls, but um, very good defender. So if they need to, they'll bring him off and they'll put him. But there's going to be times when Jimmy's just going to guard Randall because Jimmy was guarding Giannis yesterday. Like, Jimmy was scoring and then guarding Giannis on the on the other side of the court. So it all depends. But the Heat's the Heat's strategy over the past few meetings, and what I think they're going to do this series, they're going to let RJ shoot. They're going to they're going to want him to shoot. They're going to make him not that he can't. Are they still going to stick to that if Randall is out? Yes, I believe so. I believe they're going to let they're going to try to let. RJ doing the shooting. They're going to funnel him or they're going to guard him in a way where he's going to get the looks and they're going to try to, to get him to shoot. And he's, I mean, he may burn. He may burn him. I, I was at the Knicks game when uh, he dropped, was it 46? That he scored 30 and a half yeah. the yeah. first half? I was at that game. Um, yeah. And they lost. Mm-hmm. But they're going to, I think they're going to try to uh, to let um, Randall 
beat him. Do you think? Do you think we could see Jimmy on Brunson at all? That that to me would make the most sense. That's how the Cavs kind of they put a coro on Brunson and. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that Jimmy's. I think for a large part, Gabe, uh, Vince is going to be on Brunson. Gabe Vincent's a very gritty defender. And Brunson's the perfect size for him to stay on him. You know what I mean? Like, um, they were, they were, they had Gabe on, on Middleton pretty much the whole series. And it was just a height advantage. Like, he, he just kept shooting over him over and over and over again, but he makes you work for it. So I think they'll have Gabe Vincent on it. But there may be times when Brunson's on fire and they got to stop the bleeding. Yeah, Jimmy's going to guard him. Vincent Brunson had some good um, contests in the regular season against yeah. each other. Vincent was a nice matchup on Brunson. Yeah, they did. I was really, really uh, enjoying that. I think it was – I don't know if it was the last matchup or it was the second to last, but um, I remember one of those games that they were really, really going back at it. Mm-hmm. Go- going back to RJ a little bit, what really got him going against the Cavs was they um, – you know, Brunson had a lot of success, so they started trapping him. Eric Spolster loves to trap, um, especially with Bam. You know, Bam is such an incredible athlete. Um, but I think, you know, especially with Hero, the Knicks started to exploit that with RJ. You know, they could get Hero matched up onto him. Or, you know, they were doing a lot of guard guards. Guard guard screens besides offensive rebounding, I think, were the biggest factor for the Knicks in terms of kind of unlocking that Cavs defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know the Heat like to trap. Do you expect them to trap a lot, trap Brunson? Um, no, you, you no. think they'll go away from that? No, they won't. Um, they've gotten away from the trap um, for a little while now, where they were just switching everything, um, and that's that was, you know, um, suppose like his ideal thing is to just have everybody, you know, lengthy and, and quick and guard enough where they could just switch and not worry about it. Um, there was a, there was a, a time during the season after the all-star break where they were giving up so many points and the defense was just suffering. And then they started trapping because they were trying to bring Kevin Love into it. And the only way they were able to do that without switching, they were trapping and then they were just giving off more points. So they've gone away from that. So he's not doing the trap. Um, I, you're probably zero chance you're going to see any, uh, um, I don't think you're going to see much trapping at all in this series, but um, BJ, that was another thing that he didn't, switch off from he didn't stop and that's one of the reasons why they weren't getting rebounds <laughs> because they kept having their big on the perimeter helping doing the trapping then that's what's helping that was helping all the Knicks get these offensive rebounds you know like but they, so, so kind of on that note though if the Knicks are putting whether it's Obi Toppin or Josh Hart if Kevin Love has to come out and defend on the pick and roll you know how, how are they going to defend that <sighs> If they're burning him on the pick and roll, Spoel just switched on. If he doesn't take him off the floor, well, the thing is that first of all, if Kevin Love's not hitting the threes, he's going to come off the floor, and then Spoel's going to put someone in that the you know either um, Caleb Martin or Highsmith or, or someone that's going to do that. But if Love is hitting the threes and the Knicks are trying to hunt for that, Spoel just switched to zone. And they've played enough zone. You know, they're one of the few teams that play so much zone that they can quickly switch to zone to get out of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They and played they as much zone against the Knicks as anybody this year, I can remember. They yeah. they went into zone so much against the Knicks. Yeah, and they'll they'll do it, they'll do it to to 
to stop runs. You know, they'll do it to throw somebody off. It's it's his way of, of you know, like NFL defenses are just throwing you something else that you're mm-hmm. showing you a different look and other things that to, you know, he, he um, his timeouts, he is one of those coaches that he calls time. Like he's stopping your run. He's stopping your run. Like he is so adamant and so focused on stopping the bleeding. If it's not a timeout, he's using a zone to stop that. Like that's almost like his way of stopping a, a run. Like he'll try to mix defenses to stop, to give you a different look. How has Adebayo looked as far as his shooting goes, as far as um, the jump shooting, the three-point shooting? Where where does Adebayo stand right now as compared to prior seasons? Is he progressing? Is he about the same? Is he a threat? No, he's he's, he's actually progressed. He's He had um, – it was neck and neck at the end of the year. It was either him or Giannis had the most pace points in the league. Um, he's nailed that midi in the paint, like right at the free throw line, right inside the free throw line. Like that's – everybody was asking him to start shooting threes at the end of last year, and he – refine his his mid his midi jumper like right there in the paint he's not concentrating on threes he doesn't want to but he's scoring at the paint like that's what he's doing he has a little pull up he's started doing uh dream shakes <laughs> like he's he's started doing those midis so um he's gonna he's gonna um have his match with mitch you know um yeah. that's gonna be quite a a match i'm looking forward to seeing because um mitch is playing out of his mind right now this is the best he's ever looked. Like he's playing out of his mind. Like there was one play that Mobley missed the pass because he was looking for mm-hmm. Mitchell. He took his eyes off the ball because he was more concerned about Mitchell Robinson. Mm-hmm. Like, he pretty much destroyed the two of them single handedly. Arnstein was huge too, but like Mitch dominated Jared Allen, like dominated him. Totally. I did not see that coming. Um mm-hmm. Not because I didn't think that he was good enough. I just thought that Allen Mobley was so. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, yeah. guys, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I, you know, I don't want to compare to to David Robinson, and Tim Duncan, but I'm like, these are two very capable big guys that you can leave on the court for offense and defense. I mean, I really thought that they were uh, they were not going to be dominated like that, not at all. You could compare him to David Robinson in the sense that Mitch was Hakeem. And he just ate him alive like a large <laughs> one. It was like ninety-five all over again. It was pretty bad. It really, it really was. It, <laughs> it, it really, really, really was. Um, let me ask you guys: What do you think has to go um, right in order for you guys to take control of uh, the series? Matt, I'll let you go first. Uh, underrated thing, but I think it's going to come up more because of other factors, i.e. because the Heat are better coached, because the Heat have better shooters, and because they have a better closer than Cleveland did. The Knicks need to shoot better from the free throw line than they did against the Cavaliers. The Knicks got to the line about seven times a game more than Cleveland did. They took a ton more free throws, um, but there's still too many nights, and they got away with it in the series because the, the Knicks were basically up 10 points other than game two, almost the whole series in Knicks broke yeah. So you miss a couple free throws. It doesn't really matter. But and it's been an issue all season. They have too many points that they leave at the line. And I feel like against Miami, so many of these games are going to be down to the wire more than most. 
you can't be leaving points. And I, I know the Heat are an excellent, like I think tops in the league, maybe. Yeah, they were second. They were second behind uh, Philly. They're like eighty-three percent as a team. You cannot yeah. leave point. The Knicks, I think, are probably going to get to the line more. They have to take advantage of that. If if they leave points on the board against this team, I don't think that's a good outcome for them. Hmm. What are you, States? Um. Yeah, I think that um, I think the Knicks game plan is probably going to be pretty similar um to the Cavs. I think your shooters. I think we're going to worry a lot more about Struess and and Vincent. Obviously, Duncan Robinson than we did about the Cavs. Kind of, um, you know, even guys like Levert. Levert had a really mm-hmm. good series. We're going to be more worried about the shooters. Um, but um, but to be honest, I'm pretty. I um I think that if the Knicks don't turn the ball over, um, and if they you know if they live with Jimmy scoring but don't get burned from three. I don't see – I think that they have a lot of good pathways. I think Spolstra is going to win you a game. I, I think Tom Thibodeau has come a long way. Um, but yeah. I, I think that, like I said, I think Spolstra is the best coach in the NBA. I think that's worth a game. And Jimmy just being Jimmy Butler, it's going to be worth a game. If mm-hmm. that's the same game, then that's good for us. But if it's different <laughs> games, you know, that's two games. Um, but I think the Knicks, you know, it's the same formula they've followed all season. Um, limit turnovers. Um, I don't think they'll dominate Miami on the glass the way they did last game, last series. But um, but you know, limit turnovers. You know, don't get beat on the free throws because I think the Knicks draw a ton of free throws. But Jimmy Butler also is very tough to defend without fouling. Uh, it's going to be a dogfight, um, and I think um, so. I think that. But if the Knicks, I think turnovers are the key limiting those. As long as you get a shot up. They're going to get their share of offensive rebounds. Um, Jalen Brunson is going to hit his share of looks. Um, and I think RJ Barrett's going to get to the rim a lot. You know, it's tough converting against Bam, but the way he's been playing, I think it's good. And the other thing is that the way I think if the Knicks, the Knicks shot very poorly from three all series long against the Cavs, I think if they start to hit at a normal rate, they have a lot of good looks. If they start to hit those, Isaac Emmanuel quickly, Quinn Grimes didn't play their last two games. Um, you know, Brunson shot 28% from three. But, you know, towards the end of the series, it started to shoot better. I think if the Knicks shoot well from three, it's going to be really tough to beat them. So those are the two things. Turnovers and three-point shooting are, if the Knicks are doing well in those categories, I feel pretty confident. So the the Heat, I don't know where they're ranked, but it's definitely, I want to say, they give up at least in the top five the most three-pointers. And one of... One of the problems is that because they do, some shooters get out of their slumps, you know, because they allow threes, they allow corner threes, they block the paint, they wall off the paint, they they deny penetration because their rotation is very crisp. Um, and because they can um, recover, and chase down the shooters, a lot of these shooters still get open looks. So they rely, they rely on blocking the paint and allowing threes. Um, and when their rotations aren't as fast and that they're not chasing down the shooters as much, you're basically giving these open shooters open shots, like gym shots. And when it 
grains and pours because well sometimes all it takes is a couple of guys to you know a guy to hit a couple of threes and then now you know what I mean I can totally envision like Grimes hitting five three pointers in in the first you know in a quarter or four in a, in a quarter and they've done that a lot um, so that's one thing that if if they you know even if they're shooting poor last series if Miami gives up some threes and if they start shooting it could be a downpour um i personally think that if the knicks continuing offensive rebound that's really gonna hurt miami um because they've been using first of all they lost their um hero who's loves he has he loves rebounding like he's like their best you said their hero that's funny (laughs) (laughs) that's funny i even catch that but they lost (laughs) hero who was their best like rebounding guard um like he was jumping into the paint to 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 so they not only you know um they lost their best rebounding guard but they use bam a lot on the the perimeter to guard a lot of times he guards perimeter and they do that and they that's he can stop point guards from from driving like he can you'll see like he can even keep up with Jalen um he can mm-hmm. kick, keep up with quick quick point guards only problem is that when he's on the perimeter nobody's yeah. rebounding and there was one of the games I think it was the game in uh, um Miami where Randall hit the game winner there was just so many offensive rebounds that he just has so many second chances and you know if 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 a team gets 10 to 15 more shots in a game you know what I'm saying? Like that's it's a huge factor. It's there was a game, I think game four at the half, the Knicks had 13 more shot attempts than the Cavs. That's just crazy. because of what they were doing. Yeah, just because if you look at the numbers, it doesn't seem this way if you watch the series. Cleveland outshot the Knicks, like in terms of effective field goal percentage, in terms of threes made, like it doesn't seem like it because the Knicks were just always, you know, scoring because they were getting so many shots. Let me leave you. I got two questions I want to I want to close for for, sure. for myself anyway with you. Um, the first is, what's the what are you as a Heat fan looking to that like if you see X, you know that your team is probably doing okay. Like one thing you're looking like the key number one. As long as this is happening, we're probably at least competing, if not doing well. Is it hitting threes? If Struess. And Duncan Robinson are hitting threes, then it's 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 going to be looking good. Okay. Um, another thing is that's probably um, could be one, but I think also if if Bam gets it going and he starts going at Mitchell Robinson, if they're going back, that's another thing also because um, you know Bam. Bam, when he faces Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez, like, I know he has like five inches on him. Brooke's 7'2, Bam's 6'8, someone's 6'9, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, like, he he, he overtopples him and it, it, it messes with Bam's shot creation. It messes with his whole internal engine because Bam is not an offensive player. And I compare him in some sort of way to Yanis. Because Yanis, you know, a couple of years back, you can totally predict how Yanis was because he has skills, but it was almost like he predetermined what move he was going to make yeah. a few years ago. And if you blocked that move, Yanis, 
he, he didn't do anything. He turned the ball over or like he would just put up a bad shot. And a lot of times it looked like he had a predetermined move um, where it's not like a certain skill guy that's just adjusting and stuff like that. So Bam was kind of like that player where he was getting blocked by um, Robin, um, excuse me, by Brooke Lopez. But if he goes at it with uh with Mitch, I think it'll be a nice entertaining. I think that'll be a nice, uh, uh you know, us old school guys like looking at big guys and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. think that'd be pretty interesting. I like that. I would look forward to that. Also with Brunson, also I really I like him. I like him a lot, and I uh, definitely want to see how they uh, they uh, they match up to try to stop him. Let me close on this note. He has refused to admit it, but maybe you have insight that he does not. Is playoff Jimmy a thing? Yes or no? Because he says it isn't a thing. He said it's just Jimmy. But I have to tell you that, like, I watch this man differently when it's game 83 than when it's game 82. When when it's the playoffs to me, Jimmy Butler is put him up there with KD, put him up there with anybody at this time of year. To me, I put him up there with anybody. Um, I think so. I mean, if you look at the last four years, the last four postseasons, um, he was maybe the best play. He was a, he had the best postseason in the bubble, probably one of the couples. Uh, the final, the next year, that's when they got swept by the Bucks. He didn't say it, but he had a sprained knee, and he was not that whole the Bryn Forbes score more points than him. Yeah, he had a sprained yeah. knee, and he was not the same. Uh, last year, he was the the best playoff guy in the playoffs when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. And so far, he looks like he is uh, as of right now. So it's crazy because he he had a good – he was good in Philly, but he wasn't, like, dominating the way he is now. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cool thing to see, actually. And he's a very cerebral player. I compare him in some sort of ways to, to Brunson. Like, I see similarities because Brunson's a very that. cerebral, very mm-hmm. smart, relentless, go-at-you, 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 go-at-you type of uh, guy. With the added element that he's also like as entertaining, just as a fan, there is nobody more fun to watch just play the game in terms of his game or in terms of his extracurriculars than he is. There was a clip last night where he was talking to Drew Holiday's face. He was like, I own you. And they were down six points. (laughs) And he was just still talking and going at him. Like he just loves that competition and Mm -hmm. uh, he's all for it. Like he's. And then it's you, you know, you kind of even when the guy's on another team, like you like seeing that kind of stuff, like you know, yeah, absolutely, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, it's um, his background and story is is fascinating too. It's um, you know, just I I highly recommend um, there's been some good articles about him, but um, you know, purely from like the the sports standpoint, um, in college, one of the craziest stats I've seen is as a freshman, he didn't play that much. He had over a 1.0 free throw rate, which means he actually averaged more free throws than shot attempts. And throughout his career, that was like over 85%, which is absurd. Wow. Like RJ Barrett has gotten compared to him. Like as a freshman at Duke, when he was just stronger than everybody else, he was at 40%. So wow. Jimmy was just like, you have to foul him. Um, before we go, I do also want to ask. So Matt mentioned you, you all have known each other for a long time. Totally. Do you have any good uh, Knicks fan stories about Matt from a younger age? Um, you know, uh, and uh, I, I think the me for sure and our fans would love to hear about it. Unfortunately, I left, I think, before we both got into basketball. Yes, I was going to say that also. Um, you left in, were you like 16 or? 
No, I'm much left? ten. That was ten. It was eighty-eight. Oh, okay. All so right. When we when we hung out, it was very baseball. It was very Yankee Mets. Yes, it was, it was very very baseball. baseball driven. I will tell you one basketball story that I doubt you even remember because it's probably the only basketball memory I have from our childhood. There was a day I cannot remember why, but someday we were playing basketball for some reason, and I remember Jonathan was there and. Um, was his name Omar, the kid who lived next to you? Yes. Okay, Omar was there, and I, I was the young. I was a couple of years younger than they were. And when we got ready to play the game, everybody was picking like who they were, like what what player were you? So somebody was Michael Jordan, and somebody was Julius Irving. And I was all excited to take Kareem because Kareem was the one player I had heard of that like I knew I liked. I didn't know anything. I just knew I liked him. And whoever went right before me took Kareem. So now it was my turn, and I'm literally, I'm probably like six or seven years old. I'm just trying to think of any player that I've heard of that I can that I can think of because this is right before, this is probably either right before Ewing got there or right when he got there. So I wasn't really thinking so much about. And Bernard King had been out for a year, and I was learning about the Knicks through the newspaper. So like when King was gone, I didn't hear about him. So the only player I had heard of, I'm like, all right, I'll be Danny Ainge. I had no idea who Danny Ainge was. I know I I grew to hate Danny Ainge as a player the, as soon as I started watching him. But I remember that day being like, "I'll be Danny Ainge." I do. I actually now that you mentioned that, it's unlocking some um, some earlier brain cells. But uh, <laughs> I do remember we used to play in the back part of your driveway. Yeah, because you had a hoop. Yep. And I remember we used to take turns. There was also moments where it was just you and I. Um, and we used to take turns of saying who we was, which player we was, <laughs> and we were driving to the basket. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And Matt had a narrow driveway to the left where it was a low fence. And we would, you know, do it on power to try everything from the bull bouncing and uh, going into, uh, I think it was Rick. His name was Rick's yeah, yard. Ricky, Ricky. Yeah, yeah. His yard. And, you know. I mean, neither one of us was able to shoot a lick. So <laughs> we we spent more energy uh, trying we were to defensive the ball from going out of at that point. We were defensive specialists. <laughs> yeah. I think we got a – it wasn't so fun because we were just darting to try to save the ball from going into the yard yeah. all the time. We were very good at baseball for a couple of basketball players. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pretty much. Uh, and then the last question we got to ask, we asked um, before the Cavs series – um what's your uh you got to give us a prediction um how many games and who's taking this home um i like to default i want to think heat and knicks are gonna go i'm thinking heat and six i want to say that Mm. what did you guys say um, I, I, I don't know. I'm sipping the Kool-Aid. I love the way this team looks. It's interesting because I, I feel like the Knicks are the better team, but you guys have the best player in the series. When Bam is healthy, he has a case for, you know, he's, he's on the same level as Brunson and Randall, um, for sure. So like at the top end, the heat matchup, but I just love our depth. I love the way this team has been playing. Um, I, I think the, t- the games are really close this season, bet- every game between the Heat and, and the Knicks. They've always played us tough. You know, even the first year when Tibbs got here and the Knicks made our, our you, know, you know, the first big leap, 
the Heat were the one. The Heat and the Sixers were the two humps they couldn't get over. The Heat swept them that yep. that year, and the Knicks finished ahead of them, but they just could not figure out the Heat. But having said all that, yeah, I just think the Knicks are playing incredibly good basketball, so balanced. Um, and as much as I love playoff Jimmy, I think playoff Jalen is going to be a thing. I think he has another gear he can reach. And say I'm saying Knicks in five. In what? How many? Because it'd be the five or seven, right? Five. You're gonna choose. You're gonna. You're gonna choose that they're gonna close out. So did you say in five? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what and I would I'm, think because I would think that they, if they close out, it would actually be either in five or seven. Yeah. So you don't think they would win Game Six in Miami? That's right. <sighs> they can. They can. I mean, Miami lost all their home games. I think last year to to Boston. I think they all mm-hmm. lost their home games, and Miami lost Game Seven. Can I, if I, sorry, uh, I I would ask this follow up. So there's been a lot of talk about, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, there's so many, you know, New York transplants in Miami and Mm. Miami, American Airlines, Carolina can feel like MSG South. I don't know if you've ever been to a Knicks heat game there, but is there a time for that? Oh, I've started, I myself, I have a video on my phone that I started a Let's Go Heat um, (laughs) chant. And, um, it was in the second quarter and they were on my side of the court. So I'm like, um, I always get the tickets right by the heat bench. I'm like eight rows up underneath the mm-hmm. basket. Um, and um, it was second quarter and it was a free throw and everybody was quiet. And I, and I was with my best friend who's a diehard Knicks fan and I'm nudging and I hit my phone, I hit record and I'm like, let's go. <laughs> and it just went and it was like, it was actually, um, it was like, all posting, you know, all over. Um, the the game, I was also at the game um, when Carmelo commented, when they asked Carmelo about the let's uh, go eat chance. Mm. I think in 13, I forget what year, when they asked Carmelo about the let's go eat chance. Yeah. Um, I was okay. there at that game also. But, um, oh, yeah, I've, I've had to, I think, over the last know, couple years, I think I've been to like five or six um, games at the Garden. And there's a... Uh, the last one, not so much. I haven't gone to any. Excuse me, I haven't gone to any game this year. Um, I was supposed to go on the March twenty ninth game, but I'm recovering from a foot surgery, so I couldn't go. But anyway, over the last couple of years, yeah, there's been a lot of. Um, but you know, that's what Dynasty does. That big three era generated so many fans. It's like there's so many Cowboys fans and Yankees fans, and you get a certain dynasty, and it breeds so many fans. Um, and there, yeah, there's let's go heat chants every time they go to a different arena. So yeah, there's just like, there's a lot of Knicks chanting, um, um, you know, let's go Knicks and, uh, in Miami, there's definitely a lot of heat fans in the, in the garden whenever you go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not so much. I don't think so now. I don't, I think that there's a lot of people going to this playoffs. I, you might hear some, but I don't think you're going to hear like the last few years when they weren't doing so much running. Well, we will wait and see. The series starts on Sunday. Uh, Matt, Matt, you got to... Oh, yeah, oh I'll hear anything from you, Matt. I'll do the same shit I always do. I picked Cleveland in six. I'm picking Miami in six because I'm not the motherfucker who's going to jinx my team by picking <laughs> them to win. I will pick... The Knicks could play anybody. I'm picking the other team in six until the season is That's over. That's a good strategy. I do, um, I do think... I do expect the series to be very competitive, um, but I think everybody does. You know, the one, the one... I'll say this one last thing. The one thing that I that I'm, makes me really confident about them. So the Heat has played either 53, 52 or 53, I forget the number, uh, clutch games where the yeah. games were within five points. 
there were they were 34 and 20 or 32 and something like that but they wow. they've played 50 something games they are seasoned so when it's close they don't make mistakes like they don't make bad decisions and they have won so many games in the fourth quarter and then when you have that and you have spo making and decisions Jimmy, yeah you know what i mean like it really so that's the thing. Like when you saw Milwaukee Holiday making bad decisions, falling apart, Middleton falling apart. Um, you know, they they spent all those draft picks on Jay Crowder. He played like 19 seconds in the whole series, but they made mistakes. And when you have the role players that don't make the mistakes, that helps your team. You know, you saw that too. When after the Heat tied it, the Bucks had a timeout, and they didn't even use it to advance the ball. That's so not here's, a, you know, a lot of people were killing him. In 0.5 seconds, you really can't take a shot. But here's the difference with Spoke. Catch and shoot in 0.5. Uh, no. Yes. Can you? Yeah. I think point, it's 0.7 catch point, and shoot. Point 0.3 and lower, you've got a, you've got a it's tip. It's not point 0.4, and I, I learned this because it's of Mario Stoudemire. It, no, point 0.4 does not count. So it has at least point 0.5. I don't think that means you're guaranteed, but you can. Because Amari oh. Stoudemire caught the ball with 0.4 seconds left against Boston against the big three and hit a three. Matt, I know you remember this game. You have to. I do, but I thought and... I thought the rule was point point four. You can catch and shoot. Because stats stat motion yeah. was not stats motion was not like a Yeah, a, he, he pumped fake a, a little bit. That's true. Yeah. I'll but do I my homework. It. I'll look it up. I'll check the scene. If you guys ever have me on, I'll have that answer. I'll look it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you one thing Spo would have done. Spo would have been on that court in the ref's ear. He would have been like Check the clock. Make sure there's more time. You uh-huh. know what I mean. I like, wondered if there was more. I had wondered about that. If there was more time than it seemed. I'm gonna see the watch the, the game again tonight, yeah. um, and I'll check this. I'm gonna see, but um, I think that's where Bud kind of messed up. You know what I mean? Like he should have been the ref's ear. He should have been looking at it. He should have been like, "You guys need to take a replay yep. and check yep. to see." And if you add two points, point two seconds or point three, it's a lot of things. So that's one thing that, but they showed something really cool. Uh, Bud was about to call a timeout. They actually showed that. Okay. He started to put his hands together and then he stopped. And I'm not sure. I mean, it's just still, it's still his mistake, but I'm not sure if he wasn't sure he had a timeout because obviously if he calls a timeout mm-hmm. and they don't, it's a free throw, they lose. So it looked, and then Drew Holiday stood at the baseline before he inbounded the ball about a good second or two, like he was looking. So I don't. Mm-hmm. I think Bud wasn't sure whether he had the timeout or not. And that's why he was hesitant calling it. Spo would know. <laughs> Most coaches would know. And, and Tibbs would know too. Yeah. Tibbs would also know. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate yeah. that. Yo, thank you. So, you are, do you have any uh, social media or anything that you want to shout out to people if they want to follow you? No, I'm not that established or anything like that. I follow people uh, uh, more or anything. But, um, I'm pretty sure uh, this fan base won't follow me, and that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, glad to have you on, brother. Um, Absolutely. Anytime. It's a great talk. And all the listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Believe Next Podcast. Please remember, the show is presented to you by Bet Online. It is also presented by me and Stacey. I'm sure we will get back to you probably around game one, um, maybe right after it, get some reaction to it. Series kicks off Sunday. Should be a good one. Um, in between now and then, enjoy 48 hours where you can just luxuriate and be one of the final eight. We don't get that a lot around here, so enjoy it. Um, and everybody, thanks again. We will talk to you. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.